Hello everyone, thank you for clicking on another episode link. Appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast. Please, 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 if you enjoy the podcast, share it with somebody else who you think may also dig the podcast. That's the only way to grow this thing. And as you know, I am a narcissist. I need the, the clicks and the lessons to validate myself and my being. All right. So please, please do not hesitate. Please share it with people. And again, super appreciative of everyone. So today's episode is with Anthony Solomini. He's not only a fellow comedian, but also being uh, somebody who was born and raised in the United States. He has lived abroad uh, for over 30 years, specifically spent 20 years in Hong Kong. So I got a chance to sit down with him and have a deep dive conversation about, you know, more or less the history of Hong Kong and and uh, everything that is happening between Hong Kong and China and basically the role of China uh, in, the, in the 21st century and going forward. Very interesting conversations. Seems like a lot of uh, serious topics, which I guess it is, but uh, trust me, it was a fun, breezy conversation. And also, we do have a show coming up, uh, Anthony and I, on Sunday at JP's Comedy Club. Uh, it's the same topic challenge where everybody has gotten the topic for their sets one week ahead of time. And only one week ahead of time and everybody tries to do a set on that. We did it last uh, January earlier in the year and I won it. Not bragging, but I am being, I'm going to be defending my title this Sunday. So uh, let's see how that works out. But yeah, that's the show, JP's Comedy Club. I'm going to leave the details in the show notes. And uh, without any further ado, here's the episode Abroad Talks to Anthony Solomini. And we're recording. Anthony Solomini, how are you doing, brother? Doing very well, thank you, Abroad. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, thanks for having me at at your casa, at (laughs) at this lavish uh, bungalow, if I may say so. You must be very young to yeah. think of this as a bungalow, but yes. Yeah, young, young and broken. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, with a couple of vices that that keep my money, uh, yeah. you know, the way it is. But yeah, it's a uh, you know really happy to be here. Really happy to uh, you know, have the chance to sit down and and speak with you. Perfect. So, uh, Anam and uh, we met uh, you know to give a little background through uh, through comedy, and uh, you moved here from Hong Kong, from Hong HK, Kong. as uh, as yeah. the OGs call it. Yeah. Uh, and and we met through comedy and we, we have you know we had a great conversation even uh, with your show which is also happening this sunday yes no, very I, excited absolutely so i won the first one so i'm defending my title you are the defending champ and i have a i hope there's a little tougher competition this time i think there will be <laughs> we had a great show but i think you had a great set that night so uh, I think Sunday night we brought some new blood in, so I yeah. think it's going to be a lot of fun. I've, yeah. I've missed the stage because Absolutely. of COVID. I, I like the backhanded compliment, Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, you won last time, but everybody else was <laughs> shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's a fun concept just to speak to the show a little bit. So you give uh, the comics a, a topic, you know, a week in advance. You know, top topic could be anything. The last time topic was vegan food or veganism. Vegan food, yep. And I have an undue advantage because I am a vegan, okay. so it kind of I kind of ran with it. Uh, so we have uh, another show coming up uh, tomorrow. Um, 
Oh, Sunday, 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 yeah, the day after. Very exciting. 7.30 p.m., JP's Comedy Club. JP's Comedy Club, right next to a Goodwill. So you can do a little thrifting right after the show. And right next to a very good Brooklyn pizza place. So I will go there early and have my pizza before I go to JP's. (laughs) I don't think you should be eating like a Brooklyn pizza right before going up on stage, man. I can't do that. You don't get this size by dieting, my friend. I'm not vegan. (laughs) Uh, Dude, I made like a damn good, I'm going to say damn good I, I shouldn't say that but i made like a pizza from scratch and i bought this like vegan like fancy like you know nice vegan cheese which is really expensive but that pizza came out real well like i fermented the dough for like 24 hours it wow, really really okay. worked out well, maybe you, you'll never convert me but i'll be willing to try it i mean yeah it's, I'm, yeah i should i should bring something for you and uh, i'm not uh you know, this is not a Jehovah's Witness <laughs> situation. I'm not trying to convert people. <laughs> is but your wife vegan as well? She is not. She is not. Absolutely not. But she, uh, you know, we kind of eat mostly, I want to say 90%. Uh, just cooking is 90% vegan food. Um, and she's been very supportive with that whole thing. And uh, yeah, but yeah, she, she, eats, uh, she eats meat when we go out. So it, it works out. So yeah, it's yeah. all good. Cool, man. So that's that's the show, and we are doing traveling this time. So I have not written a single joke about it. So I'm gonna figure that out as we go. But we all have experiences. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So um, so that's the show. We're gonna be there <coughs> Sunday. So going back then, Anthony Solomini, nice Italian boy. Now, how how does he end up in Hong Kong? China. Yeah, very, very good question. It, it was not Hong Kong, China when I moved there. <laughs> yeah, it, <clears throat> it was Hong not. Kong, British. But yeah. uh, um, I haven't, you know, I, I was just telling someone yesterday, I, because everyone asks, how does a boy from Boston end up living overseas 30 years? And it's really interesting the way life works. As long as I can remember from the grade school up, I wanted to leave the U.S., Hmm. from a, not because I didn't like it, but I just always had an infatuation with culture and travel and, and different things. Now, I don't know if that stemmed from on my father's side, my grandparents were from Italy and they would talk a lot about their culture, which made me intrigued and, and excited to learn more, not only about my culture, but so I worked the plan. I, I had a very strong plan, which was uh, a quick, funny story. Uh, when I got out of university, uh, I actually purchased a round-the-world ticket. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I worked for about a seven, eight months as a bartender making money, and I purchased uh, an around-the-world ticket, and I was going to take a two-month trip by myself hmm. and travel the world. Wow, so the around-the-world ticket is, uh, is an airline? like uh, Yeah, back then it was very common. Uh, they, they're not as common anymore, but back then you, you would go to a, a specific travel agent that did this kind of travel, and you would tell them your areas of interest, and they would put a, an itinerary together. I see. Okay. <clears throat> it was multiple airlines, mm, nice. but you pay one fixed price, and I can't remember what it was at the time, but it yeah, was still probably expensive. a couple of bucks. It was, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't that old. <laughs> I, I paid in shekels, <laughs> um, but I did have an around-the-world ticket. I was very excited. And then what happened is my best friend from childhood, he had graduated university and went to San Diego, California which, as you know, is a very beautiful city, especially when you're young and fit and not old and fat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and he said, hey, before you start your round-the-world journey, why don't you come out to San Diego, spend a few weeks with me? So that's exactly what I did. Um, I moved to San Diego. Uh, I, I must have been 23 or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And 
I ended up staying for a year, spent all my money, had to cash in my round the world ticket. <laughs> and, <clears throat> but that was a great time as well. I just, I had no bank account. I had a mountain bike. We lived by the beach in Carlsbad, California. And I just had a great time. Right. But then of course I had no money. So I had to move back to Boston and, um, believe it or not, before I got, I spent 99% of my career in banking, but my first job was as a programmer analyst in wow. the IT industry. Yeah. You, you know what? I mean, it's, a, I don't know if it's that much of a coincidence. My first job was also programmer analyst, okay. exact same title yeah. too. So, well, you're Indian. Isn't that in your constitution <laughs> somewhere? It says in the preamble. It's in the preamble. <laughs> No, so I had a very, you know, I was very lucky. I studied math and computer science, which back then, before the advent of all the software and everything, you know, banks were yeah. They so were, that was they were writing yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. So what happened is I got into banking by accident. I was a programmer analyst for a company called Colgate Palmolive. Yeah, and I um, think still, still Colgate Palmolive. Yeah, yeah. still. Yep, yeah. and then. Uh, I got an, recruited for a job at the First National Bank of Boston, do, doing treasury systems and all that fancy yeah. stuff. But I always knew, <clears throat> A, I wanted to go overseas, and B, I didn't want to be in IT for the rest of my life. So I slowly worked my way up, took some additional finance classes and all that, and, and luckily got into the real banking side and moved out of IT. Yeah, And then I had the travel bug, and I went to London uh, on a business trip and planted the seed with the general manager over there and said, hey, I want to <clears throat> I want to live over here. Yeah. And I planted the seed. And about nine months later, I got the call. And in 1989 of April, um, I left the United States. And that was supposed to be. Yeah, that was. Were you born? No. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. I was even I wasn't even conceived at that <laughs> yeah. point. So in 1989, uh, it was I left for. You know, I was the black sheep of the family. My family to this day still lives in the same neighborhood. Really? How are you the black sheep? You're crushing it. You're like, you know, you're, you're, you know, you oh, moved to London and crushed, all of that. Well, yeah, black sheep in the sense from a very close Italian-American yeah, family. Yeah. yeah, And I can see that. That's a parallel with uh, with how Indian families exactly. are. Yeah. yeah. So my sisters, my parents, they all lived in the same area. And they still do today, which is great. But I just had the travel bug. So I left in 89 for what was supposed to be a two-year project and <clears throat> just moved back in November of 2019. So yeah. over th 30 years. Wow. And how did I end up in Asia? Well, back then in banking, once you got on the circuit, you kind of... It was easy yeah. to start traveling. Yeah, I know. think that is uh, that is definitely true. Even now, once once you're in, you're, you're in. Exactly. Right? If you get down that international circuit and you get the experience, so I did five years in London and was fortunate enough to have a boss who then relocated to Singapore, and that's when my career really took off. I then moved to Singapore in 1994. I spent four years there. Then I moved to Bangkok. I was in corporate banking with Standard Chartered Bank, um, with British Bank. Yeah. Um, and then how did I end up in Hong Kong? I was recruited and joined HSBC. Yeah. So, yeah. So the same progression of you just, you know, basically country hopping and company hopping and, and exactly. you're going over. So like you said, you're in the international circuit now and Hong Kong, obviously like a big, big financial hub. Absolutely. Um, still today. In the world. Yeah. Still today. Yeah. yeah. It's, as uh, of, as of now. As of now. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Before the red flags go up, you know, exactly. they, they take down the HSBC <clears throat> oh, they're sign. Up. And they're they're up. Up. <laughs> So, okay, great, man. So, so you're moving around to all these places and obviously you said you wanted to travel. So I want to like, you know, just uh, harp on that a little bit more here. So 
and you said it's not that you disliked or despised america you liked everything and yeah. it looks like you there's a good family you're growing up in the suburbs of boston i would yeah. i would imagine uh but what was it though kid have you like had a chance to like put a finger on it to say um this is why i really like wanted to go because not a lot of people think that way so where i come from obviously if you come from a, a country which is whatever you want to call it third world country developing country yeah that's 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 more common place for me to think and uh, say that hey man like i i can't just like live here i got to make some real money i got to get the fuck yeah. out of here right yeah <clears throat> but if you're in america that's that's the exception not the rule so yeah. so did have you like kind of introspected about this yeah and You know, I I wish I had an answer. I don't know. I just uh I always had, you know, I was the young kid who was trying to find pen pals in all over the world when I was young writing letters and I just always had an interest. I don't know like I said, maybe subconsciously it stemmed from my grandparents who talked about Italy and, go, the, yeah. and the farms and the culture and the food and the people and the, but I don't know. We didn't even have the internet back then, so it wasn't like I had access. We had the World Book Encyclopedia. That was as far as it <laughs> Encyclopedia went. Encyclopedia Britannica. That's right, what exactly. you got at. So I don't know. I I just yeah. it changed my life and and now I I preach to my family, my friends, anybody who listen the the value of traveling the world and opening up your mind. Yeah, I yeah. think I think it would solve a lot of the world's problems we have today if no. people would just be more open-minded. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like you know, people try to stick to their own, and there's like you know, good like whatever reasons for it, evolutionarily, culturally. Yep. There's reasons yep. for it, but uh, if you have not met a certain kind of people, it's uh, it's way easier to hate them than uh, than it is to once you've met the actual person. So hundred hundred percent, and I think we'll get to this later. But <clears throat> you know, moving back now and being here permanently. and telling people i lived in asia and china and some of the comments i get quite frankly are pretty scary really let's see yeah, let's sample a couple of these <laughs> well you know were you able to walk the streets did you have police come into your house unannounced uh, do you that have to that happens here in the us yeah that now it does um how did you feel not being able to talk about the government and and you know all these things that if you visit you realize it's you know another simple example people here talk about vietnam mm-hmm. and they think that when you go there they hate americans and all this other stuff but i don't know why people think that memories live forever of course we should never forget yeah but you go to vietnam now which is a booming economy and doing really well you think the young generation yeah they, they don't even talk about it yeah so Uh, the ignorance and and I don't want to say ignorance in an in a bad way but yeah it's, it's you can't know about China if you've never visited yeah it's te- technically <clears throat> it's ignorance in the sense that you're ignorant to the fact yeah, it's of like what is going on whatever you do at work I'm ignorant of because I don't know it yeah. but it doesn't mean I'm I couldn't learn it or I yeah, couldn't yeah. understand it so I think for me the traveling was uh, just opened up my mind yeah and uh, you know changed my life so anyway i i think traveling for me has been the key to my happiness my success and my positive outlook on life got it fantastic so yeah so now it's so now you're hopping around right you're like fucking uh it's it's like a, an extremely obese person doing one of those uh you know going to different drive-thrus exactly uh, they hit mcdonald's <laughs> first and then hit burger Try king everything else yeah then go yep. back uh, to what a uh, johnny rockets before they go home so oh, you're, you're doing you're more american than i am <laughs> so yeah i try this is a, this is a facade okay, okay yeah, <laughs> no so uh 
so you you're doing that basically with uh, southeast asian countries uh, and uh, bangkok obviously you uh, know uh, yeah, a big amazing. huge city so is is there a pick here like did, did you like living one place uh, better more than others uh because like i have not obviously honestly not lived in any of those cities yeah. so i mean it'd be interesting to see in t- in terms of living hong kong was the best for us in terms of culture our two favorite countries are thailand and india oh wow and okay we've been to both i lived in thailand uh, i speak enough a little thai to hold a my wife calls it flirt thai yeah um just but to get into the get a good deal in the massage parlor. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, my wife's not here. Yes. Yeah, she's <clears throat> she's gonna listen to this. Yeah. I'll send a link. <laughs> <laughs> but we loved the, um, you know, we go to Thailand twice. Well, we went to Thailand twice a year. Uh, we're going for our twentieth anniversary next year to Phuket. Nice. Right. Um, Thailand and India. India for me. Uh, Thailand, of course, the land of smiles. The people are the kindest, most. Yeah best people on the planet yeah i have a lot of dear friends i love it india for me was just more the the breadth and depth of the diversity from north south east west yeah the food is a big thing for my life i'm italian so if you look at thai and india they also have some amazing food oh yeah i've got my masala daba over here (laughs) um so those are our two favorite countries in terms of traveling i think Bangkok got a little old after two years, more from a career perspective, because there wasn't a, enough meat. There. Yeah, you hit some sort of a ceiling. I yeah, so whereas Hong Kong and Singapore are, are very different. But those, my wife, and my wife is a creative director, designer. Uh, she has spent many times looking at the crafts and the materials and the silk and the, you know, all the, uh, is it Rajpur? Rajput. Rajpur? Yeah. That Raj- whole area, which I have never been to yet, but she said it's just breathtaking. And- yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of very uh, intricate artwork and exactly. it's just like people, uh, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people just sitting there and slaving away all day. And I mean, yeah. there's something to be said about how it's like, you know, um, it's kind of forced indentured labor of sorts, but again, it's a different time, different context and all of that. But like, whatever the end product is, it's, it's definitely breathtaking. Well, they're, they're gifted people. I mean, yeah. even in Thailand, um, the quality of the materials and some of the things she, you know, the Thai silk and all that, uh, our, our silverware is all handmade from a factory factory that's still to this day is in Bangkok after 120 years. Nah. Um, so you know, and I met my wife in Asia, so and okay. she's American, but right. I, we met in Asia, so I have to thank Asia for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, <clears throat> man. So, so this it, it, this sounds like uh, you know all these places you're having the time of your life. Now you move to Hang- Hong Kong as you're progressing through life, and you're doing pretty well for yourself. So just to paint a picture, you know, I'll be the ignorant American. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to my country, yeah. Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> so, how was? No, what was your life like? You know, if you could just kind of uh, speak to, obviously, Hong Kong has people, uh, different types of expats from all over the world who yeah. live there, and uh, and obviously it's it's the you know more wealthy uh, individuals who work in the industry, mostly finance and banking. Yeah, and so you're living pretty well up there. So so what? What does what did it look like as uh, you know before before whatever happened in 2019 before you moved back? Yeah. So how was life like there? Well, in in we moved. I moved to Hong Kong in <clears throat> uh, 1999. So 
I ended up spending 20 years there. Wow. Um, I, my wife coincidentally also moved there in 1999. Uh, my wife moved to the Hong Kong from Kansas City. She was working for Hallmark, the greeting card company. She was doing a lot of sourcing and design work out of there. Um, I was also in Hong Kong visiting in 1997 during the handover. So that was a very touching let me just, if you don't mind, I want to share one second. Yeah, about no, absolutely. Because, you know, whatever. You know, everyone just jokes about it and talks about it and says how sad it is. But when I was there with British people who were born there, <clears throat> yeah, and all of a sudden are watching the British flag come down and the communist flag go up, that was a pretty touch. I still get the goosebumps to this day because it would be like me watching the news tonight and the American flag coming down. Say from Hawaii flag. or something. Yeah. And yeah, something like that. It, it was, so Hong Kong for us in 20 years had, had changed drastically. Wow. So you kind of uh, lived there through that transition from the very beginning of that. Yeah. And yeah, let's, let's focus in on that then. Like, so uh, to go back to the handover happened in 1997 and, yeah. uh, Hong Kong was what? What, do you, what would you call it? A British protectorate? Is that what they? they so whatever yeah, it is, a I, British you know, colony. A British what is colony? It? It was yeah, a, yeah. They they like that word. They like oh, <laughs> they they get hard. They yeah, get hard it was, on. It was a you know they had the ninety nine year lease and, and 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 all that and it was very they turned it into what it is today. So I what mean, was how was I mean that from a historical point of view? We let if we can jump right into yeah. that then so. When they got Hong Kong, you know the, the 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 preceding events where they got Hong Kong was the the opium wars and all of that. Exactly. Uh, because <clears throat> China, obviously, uh, the British were in India in the Indian subcontinent, right? Yeah. Now the, the they they were at odds with the Chinese uh, all along, and 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 we have uh, <laughs> okay, we have some <laughs> we yeah. have a visitor in the house yeah. of a four legged kind. But yeah. Stella, be nice. Me. Yeah, Stella likes me. Okay. She wants to go <laughs> yeah. home with me. <laughs> so, so yeah. So British India, obviously, they were there for a good uh, hundred fifty years by that time. Yes, and, yes. And whatever happened with you know, OPM was was not the same. Uh, didn't have the same cultural like whatever uh, narrative as it does right now. People were using it. The British Raj, as they say, was was using it as a commodity to yes, you know, yeah. uh, for commerce and for all commerce. of that. And so, from how I und- how I understand it, they were basically selling opium to the Chinese, and the Chinese did not want that because it was basically uh, you know crippling their population with addiction. Yeah. And then there was a war yeah. uh, based on that context. So that is roughly yeah. correct. Sadly, it's yeah, that's roughly that's correct. And sadly, um, you know, if you look at the world today. Even in Hong Kong, and look at the opioid addiction problem in the U.S. It's it's still a problem. It's but still yes, a problem. It's, but that's that's the essence of what the opium wars were about. Yeah, but so so now you did say, and uh, you're coming from a point of view uh, where you were friends with all these British expats who were born there. So they're not really expats. They're like you know they're they're born they there. They were born there. Yeah. But if you go back to <clears throat> that, like the war, and then them just claiming that so they they claimed hong kong and macau and did they get something they probably got something else too around that that i don't know yeah so yeah. so but it was not theirs to begin with one would one would argue so uh i mean it came down and uh we can talk about how the chinese like in you know, a communist party is this and that and like how they're handling things but the precedent is that 
that was not british to begin with i i would look at that from the indian lens and say when the british flag came down in india there probably people who were born in britain exactly i yeah. mean i'm it's probably sad for them but the the occupation uh, and however they achieved it and like a lot of indians are to blame for that too a lot of indian yeah. maharajas and all of that <clears throat> are blamed for to be blamed too but i don't see that as something to to uh, empathize with uh that's a very powerful uh question and i personally don't know enough about the history i know that a compromise was reached yeah yeah let's um, call it that <laughs> yeah whatever you want to determine to be a compromise but um you know i will say uh, if you talk to we're well, getting really deep into the politics if you talk to a lot of hong kong people now though they wish that the british never gave it back yeah for for obvious reasons so a lot of but, anglophiles as they call them <clears throat> yeah the 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 influx i mean obviously a lot of hong kong people went to canada when all this stuff happened and we have vancouver and all that but um the hong kong the older population and i mean even older than me are very british influenced the kids went to their dream was not to go to the us for education it was to go to the uk <clears throat> their their vacations were there they felt a part of britain and they liked that yeah um so i don't know you're right back then there was wars and these things happen in wars and and part of the compromise was well just give it to us for 99 years and then we'll give it back after that and probably back then 99 years seemed like a 1000 yeah. years yeah this is this you know how i look at that it's like you're working on a project and like some guys a project manager they just want to like get the job done enough where as long as they're with the company you know they don't care about what happens when they exactly. leave so it was like a shoddy deal exactly. to begin with who does like 99 year leases uh, yeah it was it was and it was shocking to be there for you know they they built the um the convention center there was built for the handover and that's where they had the um flag coming down and and then they had a one of the royal ships was there and prince charles and chris patton who was the governor the last governor mm. got on the ship and sailed off at midnight oh man this is very very <clears throat> poetic very poetic and it was but it was uh, there was a lot of tears on that night and it was really i remember it as clear as day it was a really bad rainy night mm. and they had they were supposed to have fireworks and all that but um it was uh seeing the flag come down and then go up was was a was a it was an honor to be there and see that but yeah. and to be honest up until a few years ago nothing changed yeah it's really only in the last 3 to 5 years so that changed it after the 97 handover life went on the, the They, yeah. as you know they had the 50 year commitment i don't know if you're aware no, of that no no it's so so the, if you could speak so what's the details so, uh, 1997 is when the 99 years were up yes. and there's a transition plan and in place after 2047, that 2047 china promised the world especially finance because let's face it it's a financial hub yeah. they had the british rule of law they gave them a 50 year promise not to touch hong kong hmm. and leave it as is and sadly that ended and and they kept to their promise until 2 years ago. Okay, so the so the promise was uh, more of like a gentleman's agreement. Who are these people dude? Like this is bothering me really. Like what is fucking it's a big landmass, it's a country and uh, it's it's almost a country of its own in 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 some senses of the word. Yeah. And they're just like doing this horse trading like 99 year lease on this property and then you know. Yeah, I know. 
Yeah. Well, but but back then the world was still being Malleable. divided yeah. and sized and 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 conquered and look at yeah, makes you sense. know the Brits did this at, and many other places. <laughs> um, you know, and many cultures have done this and you know, it wouldn't happen today. I mean, I we can talk later with China Taiwan, which yeah. is different, but yeah, I think you know, China they're they're not uh stupid. Yeah. And they knew that they inherited one of the wealthiest countries on the planet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they just decided to keep the peace and say until 2047. Because, I mean, I guess if they got it back, you have to expect their culture is going to be in, back there someday, right? Because yeah. Because it doesn't feel like a mainland Chinese city. Uh, have you been to China? No, I have, have not. not. No. Okay, so if you went to Hong Kong, but then you went to some of the other Chinese cities, very different. Yeah. Um, and as a banker, I will say, of all the countries in Asia we worked with, China kept their promise on a lot of things, in terms of they put out five-year plans of what they were going to do, what they weren't going to do, and they kept their promise. Yeah. But it seems two years ago they had enough. Mm. So, and now it's it's changing. Yeah, so that was probably a part of some other plan, right? That they they had in mind because that uh, that's a good point of how like Chinese regulators essentially keep their promises. If they make a plan five years down the line, you see the regulation go or whatever it may be, Absolutely. it goes through. Yeah, and that's the advantage of like having such uh, you know this heavy top down. They Communist. can do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Because they kept to the promises because they can do that. Because if Trump, well, you can't do it here. You can't do it here. So <laughs> if uh, the Trump administration passes something, you know, now Biden's gonna go in and start reversing them left, right, and center, and that keeps happening in cycles. So yeah. It's the checks and balances of democracy, which I think make uh, the the make other countries seem, I guess, uh, flaky. Yeah, well, they're they're laughing right now at us. Let's face it. Yeah. Um, with what's happening, but yeah, they ha it's you know it's good and bad. But yeah, I mean, you know, you have the funny story of the Olympics. There was too much pollution in Beijing, so you know what they did? No one can drive in Beijing for three months. Yeah. So and people will and have people, to comply. And you know, can you? Ma I mean, here we can't even wear a mask to protect my grandfather's life. Nah, man. But there, they just no one questions it. No, nah, I mean, uh, there's a, it's my it's my freedom, like the. Uh, that's why I say about America, they they lo they love the word freedom more than they love freedom. That's what it is. That's and interesting, yeah. Uh, so the you can tag uh, slap freedom in front of anything and you you'll sell it. So um, I had this joke which never really materialized. I should think about it. You could sell America freedom slavery and they would take it. <laughs> <laughs> if you could just like you know package a, some sort of indentured servitude type of a, of a deal and just call it freedom something yeah freedom service they'd, they'd be all over it yeah. and i i don't mean to say like us versus them but uh, you get the point so, i get the point yeah 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 so freedom uh and that's why people are very resistant to masks and things like that and there is a lot of merit to like not just like having these blanket mandates not about the mask but in general and that's why america still like one of the most free countries in the world yeah. um but yeah those are like the good and bad like you're saying so so China's taking care of this. So what happened in 2018? 2017. 2017. So what happened in, in Hong Kong with the protests and how, what led to the protests and what is going on right now? Well, it's it doesn't happen overnight with this stuff. It was little by little. Um, they, 
I and I can't remember the exact date, but the the real turning point that, in my opinion, what changed all this was there was a very um, there was two things that I think happened. One is there was a journalist from the. Do you remember the International Herald Tribune? Have you ever? Anyway, nah. it's, it was it's an overseas newspaper. I think it's put put out by New York Times and Washington Post. Whatever. It's okay. for people like me living overseas. Right, right. They amalgamated all the news and put it in, and but it's very well, well respected. And I can't remember, but that was many years ago where they, out of the blue, banned the gentleman from coming back into Hong Kong. He was the publisher and the editor of the paper. So that was, in my opinion, that was kind of a trigger that things were going to start to happen. Yeah. So was there any ground on which he was not allowed? There was an article he wrote. Oh, okay. As as one does. As one does. There was an article he wrote that... You know, if you Google it later, for anybody listening, if you Google International Herald Tribune Hong Kong, you'll find it out. I can't remember what the topic was, but being an expat and knowing the expat community, we knew of this gentleman, and they didn't let him back in. Uh, you then had another instance after that, which was more recent, where they didn't renew one of the Financial Times journalists. No, oh, wow. They didn't renew his visa mm-hmm. to come back in. And then as we lived there, we looked back and little by little, we started seeing things. Um, there's a lot of bookshops in Hong Kong. Some are pro-China and there's a few that are very anti-China. And it's where locals could go and get books, anti-China books, and learn about, you know, well, basically people who hated China would go there. <laughs> and about four years ago, two of these, two or three of these bookshop owners disappeared Oh, good. They went the way of the Khashoggi. They went, yes. <laughs> well, no, They came, this is even more creepy. Really? If they disappeared and never came back, you'd say, okay, we can suspect what happened. They came back mm. and never told anyone what happened and where they went. And they closed and shop. the bookshops closed down. Jesus Christ. And, and you talk about a James Bond movie. This is, And one of them actually did speak, and he said, oh, my daughter was in a car accident in China, and I had to go and help fight the legal case, but there was no evidence of that happening. So yeah. basically, we suspect the Chinese had yeah. taken these guys, took them up to China, and said... Like the Italian mafia. Would yeah, do. they went. They, they, they made they, them an offer they couldn't refuse. Yeah, you go go and see them in a different way. In a different way. Yeah, <laughs> we're gonna recommend some things. Yeah, and that was kind of the start. But really, what started it, and it was interesting living there during those times, were the young generation who are very anti-China and pro-democracy. Hmm. Um, what triggered a lot of this was the election was coming up for the chief executive. They call him the chief executive in Hong Kong. And wow, they run it like a company too. Exactly, huh? <laughs> it is. Oh, it's a company. The, yeah. Singapore and Hong Kong are not countries. Yeah, they're, they're, they're corporations. Big countries. Yeah, yeah, especially Singapore. So what happened is what triggered a lot of these protests is China said, "Oh, you can vote who you want, but we're going to pick the six candidates." <laughs> so <laughs> you, you know, yeah, you sure it's, we have freedom, we have yeah. democracy. Here's the six people you can vote for. You know. And they were all what the younger kids were calling puppets. Yeah. And what really triggered a lot of hatred was Carrie Lam. I don't know if you know who she is. She is the current chief executive. Okay. And she is very pro-China. And they felt that she was a puppet. She was doing nothing to defend the democracy of the people. So two and a half to three years ago, 
um, the younger generation just started protesting. Okay, so so they're still honoring that fifty uh, fifty year whatever gentleman's agreement in like just just hanging by a thread almost. Well. Right? I I would say, in my opinion, from a financial and a legal perspective, yes. In other words, you know, and it may go away soon, but from a business and banking perspective, Hong Kong is still under British law. Okay. They still have the, the same status as a British colony, if yeah. you will. You don't want to kill the goose that lays exactly. the golden eggs, right? But, but what they did two years ago is slowly eroding, and, and Trump was on the verge. I don't know if it passed, but they're... Right now, Hong Kong has a special status. Even though it's China, it's not China. Right, right. So from an investment standpoint, that means a lot, right? Because investing $10 billion in Shanghai is very different than investing $10 billion in Dallas, Texas. Right. You've got laws and you've got protection and all that. So they're keeping it in that sense. But two years ago, they really screwed up by passing what they call the anti-sedition law. And... They are rounding up people to, as we speak, day in and day out, and just throwing them in jail. Yeah, so just people who speak ill of the the Communist Party or just yes. China in general. So yeah. you're being seditious. Yep. Yeah. So they when the protest started, and I we were living in the thick and thin of it. We'd come out of a restaurant one night, and there's five thousand people dressed in riot gear, wow, walking down the streets, wow, burning buildings and breaking windows. And, I mean, it was. And and you know what? No injuries. They would. They saw that we were foreigners. They gave us water. They said, "Are you okay? Maybe you should go down that street." Wow. Still very kind, but young generation doesn't like China. Yeah. So that went on, and up until they passed this law recently and got really tough. These the protests anti-sedition were anti-sedition law. Yeah. So here's a, a little irony that that I saw in the anti-sedition laws that China passed, because. The British Raj again in India, and and some of those laws still exist in the in the Indian Constitution is related to sedition, and they really use that a lot to silence uh, protesters and freedom fighters oh. and all of that. And it's very ironic that it's kind of come full circle. In, and yeah. and and then the Chinese are. But who would be seditious in India against what? Uh, against the British Raj, like when when they were ruling. Oh, you right? mean the British had that law? Yeah, exactly, and that's it. Still exists, and oh, and there's like right wing elements in India who use it even now, and they're trying to you know kind of phase that law out. But there's like like very unprecedented things that you could do with the sedition laws, and and a lot of comedians get into trouble for that. So it's, it's oh, a weird, okay. it's a weird thing. So I just see that irony there. Yeah, right? yeah. Well, now it's coming. Yeah. They, now they're passing it on. Yeah, exactly. It's the circular <clears throat> firing squad as they say like yeah it kind of goes and, and they're again with their government they don't have to get congress in the house of representatives yeah if they do it at five o'clock on a monday night it's implemented at 501 monday night yeah and so, so yeah, the protests the, yeah i mean it, it, they squashed them within days because um they promised not to bring the pla in but the pla are slowly walking the streets now Right. The PLA have a free. They promise never to let the PLA in China. Okay. Little by little, there's a there's a base now right in central Hong Kong where the PLA have a base. So I mean, I'm assuming PLA is the Chinese People's military. Liberation yeah. Army. Yeah. yeah. 
right now you still have the Hong Kong doesn't really have a military. They just have the police force. Yeah. Um, Are there any military bases like British military bases in no, in Hong Kong? Nothing. No, okay. Nothing. No, well, not that I'm aware of. I think they all left. Yeah. yeah. No. So, you know, China protects Hong Kong obviously now, um, but Hong Kong also wants protection from other countries as China gets. But it's a very political thing, right? You, you start. It's like when anybody messes with Taiwan, they have to mess with China as well. So Hong Kong is now the same, but these laws have become. I have a lot of American friends still there, British friends, and they're very worried. They yeah. have a they have a case of a an eighteen year old girl. She was a Hong Kong citizen. She was arrested and put in jail because she was a member of a Facebook group that China didn't like. Yeah, man, this is classic. You know, this is this a, is Big Brother. Yeah, she, yeah. And by the way, she never posted. She never said anything. Yeah. But she was found guilty of something just being a part of that group and when they put you in jail you don't know where you go yeah yeah so i mean and uh and again it's interesting i don't want to keep bringing back this parallel but i kind of this that's the world i grew up in i uh, know i've only moved to the u.s and uh six years ago yeah so i look at the world most still through that lens and there are parallels with india too like the indian government has has been notoriously uh it, they've been notorious about finding people if they're like the admin of a whatsapp group that shared the wrong thing about the wrong person you know there's the yeah. uh the religious sentiments hurting religious sentiments there's things like that uh that do happen at least with, the, with i see more logic in what the, what china is doing it's it's more political so it's it's not right but the, i think the logic is a little more sound but uh, what happens in india some of the times is is more emotional and people from you know certain yeah. religious backgrounds get really upset when somebody says something and that happens with uh, you know hindus and muslims and christians too like you you think like christians here in the, in the us are sensitive about what you say about you know uh, you know maybe jesus, jesus or god yeah. or or whatever dude the christians in india are christians with uh, with the indian sensibility uh, so they they get upset you can't say you can't say anything they i think they banned passion of the christ in india when when it had come out because of whatever certain reasons okay. are wrong portrayal so i see that parallel yeah, there which yeah. is which, which is definitely interesting and that kind of gives like put some sort of an alarm in my head to say like is india also kind of slowly moving in the in the direction of china which is really yeah. uh, upsetting i i hope not I yeah mean, definitely i, I don't not. know india that well compared to china obviously but um you know, when you've got billions of people, you do have to, you know, the an uprising, and this is what you read a lot, the an uprising in China could could be drastic for the country, right? And they saw what happened in China, in Hong Kong, and now the young kids in China have access to the web and all that. So they're seeing these young kids taking a stand. Nice. They're seeing the money the kids are making and all that. And they're saying, yeah. hey, hold on. Yeah. When is that coming on? Hold the phone, yeah. yeah. So so all these protests going on, so I'm thinking they're sporadic, intermittent happening, then being squashed and then again happening again. <clears throat> so but still there's uh you know they they are able to have these prote- protests. And PLA is now in Hong Kong. Well, no, let me clarify that. They've always they since ninety seven they've always had a small base, but right. they weren't allowed to actually They're not active. They're not active. But yeah. what they started doing during the protests is the PLA started walking the streets, but the government sidestepped their agreement not to use the PLA by saying, our police force is very small, our city is being burnt down, we're just yeah. using these guys to 
yeah. scope out the area and see what's going on. But there, you know, what's fascinating is there's so many conspiracy theories of who started the riot. I mean, there's conspiracy theories that uh, the U.S. started these riots and anti-China people started the riots. So I don't know the answer. I just think what's happening is similar to Tiananmen Square. Yeah which was, what, 1984, my wife's birthday. Um, not birth date, birth, yeah, <laughs> birthday. Yeah, really, wow. um, And they're, um, they're doing the same thing now, but with a lot more information and a lot more financial backing. If you, just one comment on the, on the protest. Yeah. If you saw these kids protesting, mm-hmm. you would know they were not, they were being trained by someone. Wow. I have never seen such organized groups of protesters in my life. Wow. They looked like professional SWAT teams out of a movie. So it's, it's uh, this protesting and rioting, right? So you're saying like all of that like did seem- Oh, yeah, rioting was that was with the ice that's why China got Oh yeah, they were burning buildings down, five-star shopping malls were being trashed. Uh any company seen to be pro-China was being destroyed. Yeah. So my right before we left, you know, major banks and stores, they had uh walls built steel walls built in front of their shops it was surreal wow because the protesters just when they'd build it back up the train stations were being lit on fire um government buildings were being lit on fire it was really it was really scary and then at one of the protests the police actually shot a young kid and that's really what took a turn of events so the hong kong police did they pulled out yeah i have the newspaper they it was on the front page he and and to be honest, rightly, Julie, rightly, no, uh, rightly so. It's a three three per person podcast now. With, yeah, with it's a three. Stella. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened is there was you know these poor police were told because they're under the microscope. They were told not to fire. Yeah. But if you think about it, you have ten people attack coming towards you with baseball bats and Molotov cocktails. So this guy pointed the gun shot this kid he lived but that really was when china said okay we better step in and do something wow because it's uh that it's was getting on, out of hand yeah it's getting out of hand yeah i mean the burning buildings uh, should have been getting out of hand but what do you do with it like there's there, it's a little bit of a catch-22 even for the chinese it's it's not an easy spot to be in again with the hong kong being so, so lucrative financially yeah personally for me um china and Hong Kong, the the leadership in Hong Kong did nothing. Hmm. They stood by China. They ignored the protests. They let them go on. And that was, yeah. you know, kind of a Chinese mentality. Just let them burn themselves to the ground. Who cares? Yeah, so let, they'll burn themselves out. I mean, they, they spoke that kind of rhetoric here as well, right? They're like, they'll burn themselves out. Ex- absolutely. So the China had enough. They put in these laws. And I tell you, overnight, there's not a lot of, you know, because now they have their legal right. They're rounding up people. I mean, Americans, people, if you wear a T-shirt that's anti-China, you'll be picked up off the street. Wow. It's, it's, it's surreal. Insane. And that was never the case over the years. Oh, no. My wife and I, since 1999, up until about a year and a half before we left, it's the best city. on. It was the best city on the planet. And I pray for it. It was it's still a financial hub. But as a banker, even 20 years ago, we knew that Shanghai is the future. Hmm. Hong Kong will fizzle out because China is just too big. Hong Kong's just too small. 
And once the legal and other issues get sorted out of in terms of uh, intellectual property right. and all that, it's it, Shanghai is the future. What's the deal with Shanghai? Shanghai is just straight China. It's, uh, that doesn't have any connection to uh, to you, Britain. No, not okay. really. I mean, the, no. They're very proud of Shanghai, and if you've never been, you'd you'd think you're in a Star Wars movie. It's an amazing wow. city. You've got old and new. <clears throat> um, you know, when I worked for ABN Amro, we had an office in Jin Mao Tower, which is just a, a piece of yeah. art. It's beautiful. Yeah. So it's an amazing city. You've got East meets West, and you know, new technology, amazing airports, the you know culture, but yet you've still got the old. Chinese sections and yeah, all that. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, that's what they say about even Macau. Like somebody was describing Macau, like you know, it's Vegas times one hundred. Oh, it's it's amazing. When twenty thirty years ago, my first time there, it, you had prostitutes in casinos, which which was quite nice. Yeah, <laughs> it's very convenient. Uh, it's very <laughs> convenient. Take the ferry over. Uh, what happens in Macau stays in Macau. Um, but when they opened up, uh, as you know, it was under, there was a guy called Stanley Ho, who was the father of Macau, uh, 90, uh, well, he died now. Well, I just, oh, you want to make a comment? I just said, a guy called Stanley Ho. Ho runs the Ho. It, so oh, he yeah. runs Macau he where there's the a lot of Ho's, yeah, so. Exactly. And, well, he fitting. had about nine wives and 17 children, and uh, he was a legend. He was definitely linked to the triads, but he came up and they gave him the rights to Macau. Okay. Um, the story is he married one of the politicians, People's Party's daughter. Right. Anyway, so he built Macau into what it is, and it was very protected. But about, I think it was eight or nine years ago when they opened up to other casinos when Vegas went in. But within one year, Macau surpassed the total revenues done in Vegas every year. Yeah, they they are now by far, Vegas is a peanut. Yeah, exactly. It's multiple times it's, over. They yeah, say Vegas is like like the nothing. gas station where you buy yeah, scratchy tickets. Exactly, it's nothing. And Macau is, and I have to say, my wife and I have been there many times now because it is five star restaurants, amazing golf courses, amusement parks. It's it's a wonderful place. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense, man. So so Hong Kong, it's the, the jury's still out. This is going to play itself out over the coming years and decades even and and i would think like if i were to wager the the financial hub and and all those uh, you know the 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 positives that are you know the positives of doing business in hong kong are never going to go away because i'm assuming like the china sees tax revenue that comes out of hong kong right yeah uh, a but good chunk of it yeah, the, and well china hong kong has made billions just by being the gateway to china so all of the many factories and all the stuff you read about, all those companies are headquartered in Hong Kong. Right. So, so the the factory uh, HQ uh, corporate HQ Hong is Kong. Hong Kong, and then they have manufacturing the labor, all over. Yeah. And, and they got the kids in China. Yeah, <laughs> and and that's how a lot of the you know there's a lot of illegal wealth, but there's a lot of real wealth. You know, all the stuff. You've been into a Walmart. You're American now. That's not being made in Florida. I can no, tell nothing, you, <laughs> nothing's being made here because, again, obviously they, they run the numbers. It's not financially viable to no. make it here. But what that transitions into is uh, where where is the responsibility? Like, who takes responsibility uh, for 
whatever it may be labor practices yeah. you know uh, anything health uh, code violations it can be something minute to something broad and like intense like child labor which which there's reports that does happen over there so yeah. who who kind of takes responsibility where the where does the buck stop because the consumer so the market is going to adjust for what the consumer wants and it's going to find like some sort of a homeostasis to say like if, if people want to pay just 6 bucks for a t-shirt it's going to be made in china it's going to be made in yeah. poor conditions but now the baseline is said nobody wants to pay $27 for the same t-shirt which is you know yeah. roughly speaking what it would cost you to, to make it here so Yeah, there's a little bit of a misunderstanding by a lot of Americans on okay. that stuff. Um let's face it, yeah. child labor happens it happens here in the United States. <laughs> you know, you'd be surprised that uh slavery and if you use that term is all over the world and it happens yeah. here as well. Okay. Um the I would say I've learned a lot from my wife who's in the manufacturing cuz Hallmark and all those companies make all their stuff over there. Really the responsibility is pretty much if you look at Walmart and any of these major outlets that are buying things from China they have a lot of controls in place if you want to be a factory in China and make product for Walmart um the best thing that happened for the slave labor i think is the american companies going in and starting relationship with these factories i can guarantee you that now it's probably happening illegally but i can guarantee you that most of the factories making for big american retail outlets don't have slave labor and don't have any of those issues really i i may be you know you may be a little optimistic I here i may be a little optimistic but i will say what my wife has taught me you look at walmart and target and all these companies they have teams of people that visit those factories all the time hmm. and if they find now you can imagine you're a factory making coffee mugs for walmart All you need is one product and you're going to be a successful businessman. Do you want to risk the fact that a Walmart auditor is going to come into your company? Right. So I think little by little and by the way China is becoming way too expensive. A lot of companies yeah, are pulling out. Yeah, they're moving to Southeast they're Asia. They're moving now. to Vietnam, yeah. Cambodia and all that. So the best thing in my opinion that happened to those companies uh, to those child labor laws was the US companies and the British companies and the German companies who care about that stuff right so but a uh, quick interjection <clears throat> here then is it's never a straightforward relationship where walmart's not going to these companies are they there's like probably a couple of people in the middle there subcontractors and and so, and like uh, it's almost a completely different entity and that's how like walmart distances themselves from what is going on there that's well, what i would think you would structure yeah. it um walmart is not distancing itself from anybody no they are You're right. There's multiple layers. You'll have the company in Hong Kong is selling to Walmart. The company in Hong Kong is dealing with a factory in China. Um Yeah, so that's so the But but Julie, can you come here for a second please? Do you yeah, mind if we have a guest guest host? Of course, of course. Let's bring in somebody who knows what they're talking about. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Let's bring Stella in. Julie, I want to ask you a question because my opinion is Walmart and these companies are good for slave labor in the sense that they're doing their best they can to reduce it. Is that a fair comment? Come here. Speak into the microphone. No, it's a fair comment. Uh, and how are they doing it? Well, through uh rigorous programs for compliance and you know, they're not allowing the slave labor. That's right. You know, they they'll ditch the factory if they find it. So and then, and then the factory's out, you know. If you've been making a lot of money for the US major retailers, 
you know, manufacturing, and then all of a sudden you get the bad rap because you didn't pass your code, you know, uh, yeah. then you're, you're done. See, I did know what I was talking about. <laughs> no, I, I, I she has I mean. taught me so much because yeah. she has had friends at Hallmark who have been to visit us in Asia, and all their job is is to do quality, go to these factories, inspect them, do, do random audits, go to these factories, integrity, quality, yeah. chemicals being used. So... You know, that's really helped eliminate a lot of this. I mean, that that is good to know. Th- thank you, by the way, Julie. Thank, thank you. So, the, like, that is really good to know then because I was, again, under the impression that there's so much, you know, almost, uh, you know, malfeasance going on that, like, nobody cares and, and they're just trying to drive, uh, you know, the unit cost really down no, and that's no, how no, they're no. working. But I'll what, I, what I'm getting here, the sense I'm getting here is over the years, you know, there's more onus on companies like Walmart as more people are getting aware to do that. Absolutely. And that's what's driving the cost up and that's what's driving them out of China. And now that's going to happen in in, uh, in Cambodia Cambod- and Vietnam and then we're like going through the same cycle well, again. But then now Vietnam's going up, The you know, the labor is scarce or it's hard to find enough labor in Vietnam, let alone, you know, the infrastructure of all the factories in Vietnam are not what China has developed, you know, so it'll switch. You know, first, yeah. before 97, you know, everybody had a contingency plan in Southeast Asia. Well, then, you know, what, in 2008 to 12, everything was done in China. Yeah. You know, it kind of just shifts. Okay, so it's a little bit of... It's a little bit of a swinging, like, you know, it's almost a pendulum and, like, they'll try to find different spots and there's other countries too. Now, there's Africa. That's a whole other a thing. Whole other, right? That's yeah. a whole other thing. They're building soccer stadiums and yeah. they're building highways and they'll, like, send, they'll do everything. Uh, so now, it, this is all very fascinating stuff. So, like, uh, as, as there's a certain type of pressure from the market, right? Like, from where the consumer base is. Yeah. Uh, so, Walmart has to act in a different way. Now then that moves, like you were saying, that moves things to Southeast Asia and then there's problems there and it'll try to find yeah. you know, some sort of stability. But that's equilibrium. good. Equilibrium. Yeah. yeah, equilibrium. So that's good to know that, uh, that so people go out and buy all the bullshit you want to buy from the dollar store. Just, just go for it. It's ethical. It's, it's the, it's a, <laughs> it's a Solomini family yeah. approved. I cannot guarantee <laughs> that everything in the Dollar Tree is not, is made with quality um, but but you know on that note what's really interesting is if you want to get into China if you look at their future they do not want to be the manufacturer of the world that is a losing proposition because yeah. your only value proposition is labor costs yeah it's it's a very uh, again yeah, labor I mean, intensive they want value. their think about it they don't have their own brands yet they don't have their own infrastructure everything is being driven by foreign companies generations don't want to take over their parents factories Oh, they very, have, they're educated now. They they don't need to good point to run the factories yeah. anymore, and they can figure out other ways to make money. You know, a little quicker than you know. Uh, yeah. You know, cranking yeah. out widgets. Right. Yeah. yeah. Make make something. You know, create something of value that has more leverage than just you know just like uh, with when you're making something, you can only make things at a certain rate. You know, you build something with intellectual property and yeah. all, all of that. Then, then you like re- have a real leverage where you know it will just cascade into something way yeah. more valuable, yeah. right? And that's you know from what I've seen, um, Julie made a good point. If you go to UC uh, UC Berkeley and Harvard and MIT, all the Chinese kids there are probably kids of 
hardworking generational families that made their money by working 100 hours a week in a, in a factory. Yeah. You think they want to come out and run a factory in the middle of nowhere in no, China? I, I had so many uh, Chinese people, acquaintances, I wouldn't call them French per, per se, but in, in my class when I was in grad school, nobody... And where like, was that, in the US? ASU, yeah. Oh, at ASU. Yeah, oh, okay. Arizona State, so nobody really wanted to go back and they talked shit about china all the time they're like ah <laughs> fuck that you <laughs> know yeah so that, so that makes sense and i i i wish i had like a setup with three mics because you know <laughs> uh, you're providing more insight than anthony <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's a given. Yeah. Really. <laughs> I was just saying, like, let's bring somebody in uh, who knows what they're talking about. <laughs> I'm a sales guy. No, She's, no, I know, I know. <laughs> so, so, so that makes sense. Now, like, this is a good transition point into, okay, so they want to get away from this labor-intensive stuff, which has so much overhead and, and all of these other issues that we've been talking about. Go into building something that's like a widget or whatever, building apps, building technology, but there's a host of issues with intellectual property because intellectual property laws okay, are you know follow country by country and and that's that's the loophole um, that yeah. that somebody could just replicate something that's made here in in the US designed probably spent somebody spent billions and billions of dollars to 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 come up with a product they can just kind of reverse engineer it and make it and that that does happen a lot with automobiles with you know with other yeah. electronics yeah. and things like that happens a lot in india with pharmaceuticals right and there's, there's that's a more gray thing to talk about like in a more ethical like a uh, question of do you honor intellectual property or do you like you know make the drug and kind of save people's lives or make yeah. people's lives easier but with electronics it's it's a little cut and dried of like so yeah. now how do you how do you manage that as like the the world is a global place everybody's trading with everyone so now how do you manage that because it can't just be a free for all right not not everybody should be able to just copy like you know the iphone does one thing so you just take buy an iphone break it down reverse engineer it and make a fucking c phone c for communist china yeah. and, and sell it right so yeah. how do you manage that like well, I'm going to let Julie talk about this as well. No, but uh, intellectual property from a from a banking perspective, my clients have always been multinational companies. And the biggest challenge uh, slave labor is always that's an issue no matter which country you're in and 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 that's more of a human issue. Um but everybody knows that as soon as you launch something, now you can't launch an iPhone and duplicate it overnight. Yeah, that, because I think that's being hyperbolic. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's uh, those are in, although they do, they are starting to build their own phones and things like that. The intellectual property um, is a major issue for China. Now, I'm speaking from a banking perspective that they know they have to because remember that's not the Chinese government doing it. Those are the factory owners. I had an example of a German company that was my client. They were making some big industrial. Uh, piece of machinery that they were selling back to Germany and Europe. And the logo and the color of the f product was yellow. That was the German company's color. And there was a, it was very, very hard to manufacture. But guess what? That company pulled out of China because they found a factory just up the road making the same product in red. Yeah, I was going to say, tell me it's red. If it's not it's red, red, it's no good. Yeah. Okay, so that's good. <laughs> these, are, these are true stories. And that is going to, you know, China is in a transition at the moment. If they want to become a superpower, they can't just be the manufacturer of the world and they have to start getting, they're getting a lot tougher on intellectual property. You know, there is f f 
so few places now to buy the fakes. Like you, in the old days, you could buy fakes yeah. everywhere. You could buy the second copy, then the third copy. Third copy. <laughs> yeah, they had Rolexes that went from $5 to $400. You cannot see those. They, in Beijing, one of the biggest, uh, it was either Shanghai or Beijing, one of the biggest street markets to sell fakes is gone. Wow. So they are trying to change the culture. What they, really, yes. What really hurt it for me is, when they started finding fake AIDS and cancer drugs coming out of China. Wow. Now, what the world has to remember is that's not the Chinese government doing that. The right. Chinese government does not want their country being known to make fake drugs. No, but, but I'll push back on that okay. from the standpoint of, uh, yeah, it's it's not the Chinese government doing that, but the accusation is not that you know, Xi Jinping is sitting there you know mixing chemicals to make no, a tablet, no. but the accusation is that the Chinese government is looking the other way because you know, it's convenient to look the other way. I'm going to say that they're not looking the other way. Oh my God, um, you're wearing a red t-shirt, Anthony. <laughs> He's um, been paid by the Communist Party. <laughs> I No, 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 no. I, I, if I were, I would take it, trust me. Use the baby formula example. Remember, they went in and railed that company. Oh, so there yeah. was a case where a factory, very good point, she is smarter than me. Yeah. Uh, there was a case where um, China was producing fa uh, copy baby formula mm -hmm. killing babies oh, wow yeah they had melanin you know plastic dinner plates and yeah, stuff? yeah. that's mm -hmm. called melanin 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 yeah they were just producing this stuff and i can tell you right now china went in there with a with a heavy hammer and and closed these places down mm -hmm. so i'm not defending china in any way saying that it doesn't exist what i'm saying is when you have 1.7 or whatever billion people the opportunity I mean, they make fake rice in China. Come on. <laughs> How a bag of rice in China costs a dollar. They make fake rice. There's you Google it on YouTube. Yeah, no, no, it, I've heard that. Yeah, yeah they it, make fake eggs. Yeah, it takes water and takes resources yeah. to make rice. I mean, like I get it. Like if you can make rice for a penny instead of you know, uh, yeah, a dime, you'll do it. Exactly. So remember, we're talking about villages that don't have people. There's no money. So they're they're trying to find ways creatively to make money i personally think that china is smart enough to know that their future is in building their own brands getting rid of the intellectual property getting the rule of law to protect people's assets um or else they're just going to be a third world country making t-shirts for walmart yeah i mean i i get that okay and and there's anecdotes and and that's the problem with anecdotes right so you, if you look at uh, the the breadth of evidence and i don't know what what that answer is yeah. but i'd be interested to see like by and large what are the practices you know from from a higher level to say do they look the other way more often than they don't and you know maybe you like certain cases they do based on you know whatever the circumstances are so again we can yeah. go back and forth in that sense yeah but it for Maybe it's the Chinese government or it's just people and the circumstance, but there's things that happen where people will just uh, no, uh, make make something that's uh, that's just copying somebody else's work. And again, because of how intellectual property, and it's, it's a, that's a problem in the US too, where there's loopholes in the IP laws. We just tweak something a little bit and then that's a new product and you have yeah. the IP for you know, 20 more years or 30 more years. So... It's a complicated thing, but I'm kind of trying to like flirt with the idea of how do you solve for it as 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 a global community, like even leaving the Chinese government aside or the US government or anybody EU aside, 
how do you kind of account for that and what is the incentive to account for that well i can tell you that certainly with companies from europe and the us uh, i don't know about south america and all that the biggest way to solve all this is um as i mentioned there was a famous case of Kathy Lee Gifford Okay. You probably don't know who no she is. Idea. Yeah, because you're 12. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Lee Gifford is a TV personality. If I was 12, I was, I'd be making t-shirts yeah. <laughs> in China. <Okay. laughs> um, she was a famous television personality. She was married to a famous athlete and, and lovely lady. And about 20 years ago, was it? She launched her own line of jeans. Mm. Kathy Lee Gifford jeans. Okay. And they were being sold at Walmart or Target. And they were cheap quality, yeah. but they had her name on it. Yeah. Well, remember, this was 20 years ago. That was a different world. They found out, somebody spied on the factory where they were being made and found massive slave labor going on. In my opinion, in our generation, that was one of the biggest cases to really bring... Was it Walmart? That was one of the biggest cases that really blew this out of the water. Now, I am far from an expert. My wife knows a lot more about this than I do. But as a banker, what I can say is... I know for a fact that the big boys out of the U.S., the Targets, the Walmart, Walgreens, all these stores that are buying billions, even, I don't know about Dollar General and all that, <laughs> but the the biggest control over all that is the companies themselves going in and doing audits and doing that. Because once it starts hurting China's bottom line, yeah. you can imagine the amount of people I know. I worked at UBS for quite a while in Hong Kong and met a lot of mainland Chinese kids that were graduates and started working for us, their families made money off of factories in the last hundred years. Right. The father had one little factory that made these plastic cases. Right. You know, Then they grew to two factories. Then Walmart came in and started buying billions of dollars. Um, so if... But if China b continues to have these cases, it's going to lose all credibility when they want to start making high-end products. Right. Because, so I think the only way is that, you know, peer-to-peer -peer monitoring of this stuff where Walmart is doing their due diligence. I doubt, unless someone's corrupt within Walmart, I doubt that any factory making something for Walmart, if it's known that there's any unhealthy, un, you know, humane uh, practices, yeah. they'd probably be shut down. Would yeah, you? In due time. Or, well, or they stop. They don't, they won't buy from you. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I see. Yeah. Yeah. One other quick story. I was sitting on a train once going up to China, and I sat next to a guy who had a small business. He made TVs. Mm hmm. And small business, he said maybe three or four containers a month. Mm -hmm. But, it, you know, it's small. But yeah, he made a good living. Good, yeah. And I said, oh, what's the brand? He said, you wouldn't have never heard of it. I don't sell it in the U.S. Right. I said, why is that? He said, too many laws. Oh, wow. He sold to Hungary, Poland, Russia. Yeah. Where there's no laws. Right. They don't check where the products come from. They're not checking for other hazardous chemicals right. in the TV. They just want a cheap tv that's a great point so that's a great point and so and that kind of amplifies what i was saying because we are kind of being very u.s centric and talking about okay so the u.s has uh, and american companies have checks and balances because i'm convinced now because i think like the incentives are are, are aligned uh with 
not uh, entertaining any any you know uh, shady business yeah of course right so so yeah. now it's is going in that direction but there's 250 whatever uh, other countries out there that's the sad thing so, there's always money to be made illegally okay so so i mean is it illegal though is it like uh, are they break, breaking laws uh, in, well, in chinese laws well it's a good laws? point i don't know if they're breaking laws but unwritten unethical, ethical laws. yeah unethical, unethical yeah so yeah i mean if you're if you're using child labor if you're using chemicals that are not allowed under certain global Whatever. world yeah. policy then is it illegal i don't know maybe hungary and poland don't have laws to of that chemical but ethically right okay so things are going to kind of uh, you know work out is is what the sense that i'm getting at least if if more countries were buying it I, or the companies that are you know manufacturing things in china they they are forced to put their foot down because i am of the belief that if it was in walmart's long term interest uh, to like you know look the other way they would look the other way but it's not and that's why they're not because this the, the world is like you know at least the consumers in the us and the narrative there a flashlight in their eyes right now saying hey look what's going on there like foxconn specifically right so what they employ 1 million people that's the last i had heard second yeah. uh, biggest employer in the world after taiwanese Walmart. company by the way right so it's a taiwanese company so yeah. do so they have presence in mainland china oh right so taiwan so has massive presence in china yeah okay. but that's where the foxconn makes the ipads and all that stuff right so now now foxconn has to be above board now at this point because they became But, almost like the the scapegoat when somebody said sweatshop they said foxconn it had become synonymous in just the general yeah. narrative yeah. but this foxconn is probably one of the better ones because they're working with apple they're working with the big boys yeah so uh, i know man so there's a different layer there's a lot of layers to this taiwan is like a whole another can of worms right what is taiwan we should start there because that that's that, another podcast yeah exactly because there's this uh, like funny anecdote of when covid was hitting and the, the ethiopian guy i have to forget his name he's the uh, what is the head of uh, who right world health organization okay. and ethiopia and china have obviously china has leverage on a lot of african countries ethiopia being one of them uh, what are they calling it? they're calling it some sort of colonization economic colonization or something yeah yeah to that effect that they're making all these investments also just just basically giving away all this billions of dollars gratis like Don't don't worry. I mean in Africa? Yeah, in Africa they're like, yeah, the soccer stadiums on us. Don't worry about it. Oh, China th- there's another issue with that. Yeah. Here's what they're doing. China is see China doesn't have the restrictions we do. Yeah. If if the US wants to make an investment and it's in a country like Nigeria, well, there's health and human issues and we can't do this. China says forget all that. This is business. <laughs> what the biggest scam that China is doing right now is they're going to all the major ports in Africa. Right. and saying we'll rebuild your port exactly. we'll make it a five star port that's mm-hmm. what you were saying and then guess what they can't pay them back yeah they can't then they take ownership and it's a game of risk yeah no it's it's uh, and i if i'm i mean the the when they they are early adopters in, in this whole thing and i think other people will follow suit they're early adopters so i wouldn't even say there's a lot of risk involved like it's it's a safe hedge because they are early adopters yeah. this. well it's 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 sad what they're doing and again that becomes ethical and corruption yeah. and all that so stuff. now what i was saying about the who guy is uh they so they were talking about covid response and somebody a journalist said taiwan is doing a great job it's covid free as we speak yeah exactly so and this was even back in april and and may like yeah. every there's like taiwan's doing a great job and and what do you have to say about that 
he wouldn't acknowledge or say the word Taiwan. And like he, he was stressed <clears throat> and he was like acting dumb and it was really embarrassing because he was acting almost like uh, 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 he didn't hear him. But clearly he did hear him and he had to walk away. So wow. so obviously the, the accusation being and which I think is very, uh, you know, very, very clear that that was the case that, uh, you know, walking the, the, the line that the Communist Party in China is putting in front of Ethiopia he as an Ethi- Ethiopian whatever uh, person and in, in place of power in an international organization can't say Taiwan because that's going to be like a whole ripple effect of things so like a quick thing I know that's a whole another podcast but yeah. if you like could like say what the fuck is Taiwan and, and explain for the ignoramuses like me and others who are listening to this you mean what is Taiwan yeah so it's a country but like what is the problem where like Taiwan you is want not- me to answer that yes please. oh it's very simple Taiwan, it was part of China many years ago. And Taiwan just, I, I don't know exactly, they declared independence. So, okay, so they def- they defected. People defected. This is a country that defected. They just declared independence. And China has a long memory. Man. And they're saying, no, it was never done according to the law. And they want it back. And China is so big right now. You can't have Taiwan. There's no Taiwanese embassies anywhere, pretty much anywhere in the world. Wow. Yeah, you, again, if you the have same an embassy, pressure, yeah. then you acknowledge that Taiwan is a free. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like it's, it's crazy. That it's like Kashmir it. in India, but I think it's it's uh, Kashmir is still in uh, it's it's in a limbo right now. But if Kashmir goes the way uh, of Taiwan, yeah. from what I understand, how you're explaining it, that's what's going to happen. But uh, yeah, that's that's another that's, like, whole well, strain of uh, Let's issues. just pray there's not a war there because I mean, at some point China, you know, China right now, you have the Taiwan issue, you have the South China Sea there. I don't know if you know what they're doing there. They're yeah. just going in and building islands and putting military bases on them without oh, any government authority. They're, they're saying that it's free waters and international waters. Yeah. Then they're they're building islands and military bases All to right. try to protect that. Well, wouldn't there be like whatever international sanctions laws that yeah, everything? sanctions that would like not have them not do that? Uh, you know, typically sanctions are against countries like Haiti, where the, you don't really yeah. care about them anyway. <laughs> but um, China, Trump did do. There was a company called, uh, you know, two years ago Trump tra- started the yeah, trade, the trade wars, war, yeah. and I kind of agree with some of the stuff he was doing, not the way he did it, but um, there was a company, Xianping, I think it was called, one of the th- largest cotton producers in the world and this is why china has to be careful playing this game because trump put a 40 percent tax on any of that cotton coming into the united states right that could what you know if if the u.s played it right because china needs us more than we need them yeah you know we can live without buying fifty thousand rolls of toilet paper for a dollar yeah but if it's a pandemic though you need (laughs) you need all of the toilet paper unless you're (laughs) brain dead and you think toilet paper is what you're going to need for a pandemic but i still believe for the time being china needs us because they still are purely manufacturing um it's a double-edged sword because when i tell friends here they say oh you lived in china they have bad human rights and i said well if you really care about it don't shop at target yeah but they say oh well what do you mean i said yeah take a stand yeah, or grow your own tom- tomatoes. Yeah, <laughs> buy your own pickles for yeah. ten dollars. So there's there's a lot to talk about, and I think we're we're going to be seeing some. You know, I'll, I told you I read an interesting article by Henry Kissinger yesterday. Mm-hmm. He said that war is inevitable. 
Jesus. Between China and the U.S. Now, he's 97 years old, and he maybe he's a little dementia. Yeah. Um, so he's the same guy who was in the uh, Bush senior administration? Lo- he, oh, he's been in almost the, every president's administration. Yeah. You know, okay, so yeah, he was Secretary of State for yes. a while. And yeah. So he's and basically... He's, he said uh, that that war is inevitable between China because we have a lot of similar goals from a financial and economic perspective. But the political divide of our culture of the, of governing and democracy is so different that there'll be no other way but to have a war. I pray that that's not the case. But. Yeah, I mean, but so, but that has coexisted all the way up till now. What changed? What changed now that 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 uh, divide is like you know because China is uh, on path to take over the U.S. In, economically in the next ten ah. five years. So the U.S. was okay playing ball as long as they were the fucking as long as we were number one. Yeah, I wanted to say something wild, but I I did not. I'm sorry. No, it's <laughs> biggest D in the in the room. Like yeah, that's the, tr- the they thing. didn't when when you're. T- you know, it's the difference between my dog who weighs 10 pounds or a pit bull. Yeah. If if she runs up to you, you'll just scatter away. But if a pit bull comes up yeah, to you, you might treat her differently. No, no. The podcast would be canceled if a yeah. pit bull ran out of your house. <laughs> so there's no question that the U.S. is struggling on how to deal with, you know, Trump tried a um, lot of articles on what's going to happen under Biden. Um, I am all for being tougher on China. They, they have been taken advantage of the U.S. in many ways. Um, they have gained substantially all those factories that make stuff for these American companies. Who do you think trained the staff, bought the equipment, built the infrastructure, got them OSHA compliant? Right. You know, we did all that for them. Yeah. Right. It's, it's like training a replacement. Yeah. And, you know, I don't understand for the life of me. I know money is tight in a lot of families, but I don't need to buy a T-shirt for 99 cents. I would rather have some stuff made back in the U.S., but you can't make stuff back in the States. My father was in the garment business many years ago, and back then when stuff was still made in the States, they used to have buses go to Chinatown to pick up all the stitching ladies to go to the factories. This was in the 70s and 80s. They were making $14 an hour. Yeah, in the seventies and eighties. Wow! So it was like a skill. It was a skill. It was sort a of skill. A labor. They yeah. had yellow school buses coming into right. the factories t- with the ladies from Chinatown and right. probably some men doing the stitching and the sewing. Yeah, right. Because it was a skill. Yeah. So that's why they're getting paid they like were a premium. Yeah, paid a premium, but they were also getting health insurance and coverage, and you could live a normal life. But if you started making now, I don't think we should be making all that stuff in the states anymore. We should be making some intellectual stuff. Um, and, you know, you can blame China all you want, but There's, capitalism is why yeah, these exactly. companies went to China. Exactly. There's a void. Somebody will fill it. Like Yeah. I mean, you have expensive equipment here. If if this costs $400, but you could buy it for 100 where are you going to go? Yeah, of course. Yeah. You'd rather pay 100 Yeah. But so Americans love America and want freedom, but they don't really want to pay the premium and like you said capitalism and that word word is used like a pejorative but i that that's uh, that's again ignorant stuff that's uh, no consumer capitalism is why the world is the way it is right now in terms of having all kinds of uh, medicine and then like the mortality rate like tanking over the last 50 100 years so all of that Uh, but to the point of uh, you know 
the market will kind of find a way to get the cheapest thing and you can have niche products that are that you know really advertise and brand around the fact that they're made in america made in the usa stick a flag on that but that's never going to replace uh, what the lowest common denominator wants that's never going to replace you know people who want the cheapest uh, product you know a product for the cheapest price because that is like you know that is essentially the the yeah. economies of scale whatever you want to call it a 52 inch tv at walmart yeah is 299 yes now they have to manufacture it test it produce it ship it so how much is walmart buying that for yeah now part of it is technology gets better and better and you yeah. reduce the cost yeah of that's things. one factor but the other factor is still still significant still significant i mean 299 for a 52 inch tv that that boggles my mind <laughs> yeah people probably paid tens of thousands of dollars for some sort of electronics like 20 years ago but that's more to the the technology part some of it but you know meanwhile you pay three dollars for a bottle of water i don't understand how you know there's someone ripping someone off there yeah yeah the, um, again the the bottle of water that's a whole other thing like china didn't want any of america's recycled crap right yeah. and and that has put a different yeah. kind of pressure malaysia is taking a lot, most of the load of uh, yeah of all the no, I, plastic I don't know crap. I'm thinking of all the fun stuff that's in my head. I don't know if this is still the case, but in the US, and I don't know if we still do it, we would sh- we ship our chickens to China mm. to be processed. Uh, I mean, I've looked I don't in- I don't know if that's still the case I, I because they think said that it's cheaper case. to do it. Wow. than doing it yourself uh, here. Uh, man, there may be an urban legend, dude. I don't think that is happening. I'm going to send so, you the link. Yeah, yeah. I <laughs> look at it because how they process chickens is they they still have a layered thing here. So Tyson, obviously Tyson, and I think it's Smith's Farms. Like these are the couple of big big guys who do it. Again, multi, multi-billion dollar oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, industries, right? So they hire these like independent uh, farmers, right? Because the the most cost uh, heavy part of cost and labor intensive part of the chicken uh, whatever production, if you want to call it that, is the is getting the chicken from a little whatever uh, what do you call it chick to and to the whatever optimal exactly, sizes yeah. in the in the shortest amount of time, right? So they just outsource it to these farmers and 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 independent people yeah and that's the most non-lucrative part of the value chain so they, yeah. they they just give away the shit part and these individual people do that and they feed these chickens and they have to give them antibiotics they have to like you know make sure yeah. they you know they don't get sick and they have a lot of attrition and loss and then they then then, then tyson loops back around uh, on the other side of the door and like takes the chicken so they kind of kept yeah. the good parts and like gave the shit parts to these independent people maybe that was the shit part that was given no, to china there was there was definitely something i read i don't know which part of the process but chicken was being sent to china to be processed and packaged and then shipped back to the united Man, states maybe it's now, possible they huh? might not be doing that anymore it's but possible remember in the last 10 years shipping costs have gone down substantially so there could have been some i know it's possible it's like possible. I, it's possible because i what i had read up or watched i think i watched a documentary about they were talking about how these independent farmers are being um, almost exploited yeah. because they're getting the wor- that's the worst possible part of it because yeah. you're like kind of dealing with this organic life form and and you you're trying to you can't standardize the process after a yeah. certain point in time well look at the prices you go to a costco and you look at the price of this meat yeah they'll 
they'll give it to you <laughs> just <laughs> free <laughs> you're lucky you're vegan you're, you're oh man there's like <laughs> i'm i don't know about lucky but yeah so um have you ever eaten meat yeah all my life up until three or two years ago oh what what, what triggered it yeah a lot of this stuff a lot of the factory farming and things that are going on there and I've, i was mulching over that like I've, i kind of got introduced to the concept when i moved to the u.s actually because the chicken tasted weird here you know like those those breasts are 48d like jesus christ who is this pamela anderson I, of the chicken world like what I, is going on i always laugh when you go to asia and you go to the local markets which i love yeah you get and the, the meat is the normal size then you come here and you see one two breasts could feed a family of four yeah exactly so it was all so weird like i bought this you're right like i bought this one chicken breast it's supposed to be and holy fuck it's like this big it's like the size of my arm like yeah i'm and i kind of just started somehow stumble into it and this is a youtube algorithm gods right like my uh interest in cooking and looking into that kind of transition into how food is made and produced yeah. and like i went down that rabbit hole and it took me two years to like mulch over all that information and i'm not gonna like try to take like any go take put myself on a pedestal or anything oh i'm so great like but but that kind of just organically led me to say that hey man like i think i can live without it and yeah. if i can was the problem and it and one more like added advantage for me personally was i like cooking and being creative so this made Forces me more creative you, yeah and i really like that uh, how do i mimic you know i'll make like a what a philly cheese steak with like king oyster mushrooms like really meaty mushrooms and you can do things to it yeah. so you like you know it'll be really like it'll taste good and and i like that that almost a sense of accomplishment this is all very self masturbatory yeah. but what is cheese made me- out of that's vegan huh uh, so make- yeah, so cheese so here's the thing with cheese what is cheese so you have milk which is you know which is fat it's whey and casein and, and yeah. fat so it's just some basic components and you go through a process of curdling and then fermented that's how you get cheese you can do the same thing with other other organic matter you could do that with a paste of cashew because uh, you guys like indian food so you've eaten dosas right of course dosa. yeah, yeah. so what is dosa it's it's fermented batter right so it's rice and lentils fermented over time so what are the bacteria and that change the flavor profile and that's how you get the tang and all of that the oh. lactic acid formation in the in the batter wow you've learned yeah i have i've tried <laughs> so you do the same <clears throat> thing too like you know ground up cashews right add a little bit of coconut oil for the fat content because the fat is again what gives you that that mouth, mouth feel on, yeah. on on your palate so you do a few things it's obviously expensive right now like i was telling you about the pizza that i made yeah. uh you know i made fermented the dough for over 24 hours really flavorful dough and all of that so i bought this uh, cheese from uh, miyoko's creamery is what it's called this is a lady from california miyoko shimmer she makes these great line of products but it's 9 bucks for like a wheel of cheese but it's like any other artisanal cheese it's really it's uh, tasty it's really tasty and i should i should bring us some for you in the next time i see you because it's it tastes like buffalo mozzarella it's like it's kind of like that because the taste is is not the milk the taste is the fermentation the process ferment, exactly the yeah. lactic acid that is formed that's what gives you that cheesy tang but the casein uh, has like some addictive like quality to it so obviously it's not going to be the same it's going to be different 
but it's expensive right now so it'll yeah. change a long way it will that's all coming down like the impossible burgers and impossible yeah. meat there that those are all coming down oh yeah and they're making bank the, from the time like beyond when did their ipo oh, beyond me yeah that yeah so they and i think impossible is also going to do their ipo they're trying to like you know play it close to the chest like yeah. more like uber and airbnb i tried one of those burgers not for me not for you yeah i mean again that's also they're going to keep improving because if you can i Again, we can go into food a lot because I'm like a fucking nerd for this yeah. shit. You could tell, right? Yeah. You can break down exactly the the components of a 80-20 like chuck, like patty, right? And you can recreate that one for one. With other things. With other things. And if it's chemically identical at the end of the day, and if they achieve that process, achieve that at scale... It's, it's indistinguishable yeah. from time one. Well, the good, I'm not vegan by any means, but one of the things I love about Indian food is you don't need meat. Nah. And that's what helps me too. Like it's, it's easier to do it with Indian food because like the... Well, the you struct- have so much flavor. Yeah, exactly. You know, the lentils and the dals and... Uh, sorry, and the, the vegetables, um, yeah. Spinach and the... Uh, well, paneer though, you can't eat. No, I'll do it with tofu. Again, again, I'll I'll do thanks to tofu. It'll be more paneer-esque, but uh, yeah, this is now just yeah. me bragging about my cooking process. So, any last-minute questions before yeah. we wrap up? No, no, of course. Thank you for that cue, Anthony. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, last I was worried about having ten minutes to talk about, but I think we could have another four hours on this. But nah. um, I think you know, I I think I love what you're doing. I think it's fun to share our knowledge and and no, best practices. I think it helps people. The last thing I want to say is I think people really need to, as the world, uh, no country can be insular anymore. And I think everybody in every country needs to have a little bit more open-mindedness and understand because it's when people make comments without, you know, the fake news, when people make comments without knowing is very dangerous. And we've had a little bit of that in the last few years. Yeah, so uh, great, man. Again, you... Both of you guys, again, I, I wish I had like a setup where I could have a third mic because Julie like had so, so many great points. Uh, you know, thank you for having me in, your, in this nice golfing community of yours. <laughs> you don't look like much of a golfer, Anthony. <laughs> I am, but not lately. Maybe just drive around drunk in that little <laughs> cart. <laughs> yeah, just, uh, so this is all great. Last thing that I want you to touch on, you know, if you don't mind. Uh, sure. And we covered the breadth of like everything that happened with Hong Kong and you know where China is right now, what China is trying to do, and a little bit touched on what Trump did, and which was kind of uh, you know that was a good thing because the never Trumpers like it's almost very uh, you know cultish where even if he does a the the right makes the right move, maybe it was not him, his advisors, they still want to like say oh find some reason why he did the wrong thing, yeah. which I think is not productive. Now with the Biden administration, right? Uh, what changes like does the trade according to you does the trade war still continue they roll it back because you say having these checks and balances having like you know pulling out the whip uh against china is a good thing right now with with how you know how things are things are yeah. positioned so what happens according to you and kind of a whatever if, if they like kind of start rolling back a lot of these trade war and and and, and tariffs uh like how do things play out yeah, well, again, I'm far from an expert, but I did read some latest research on this just to, to prepare a little. I think, um, first of all, I don't think Biden's going to go in and roll back everything because it's not his nature and yeah. it's not the right way to go about it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be very passive. He's a little I more think rational a, yeah. and dis, you know, he likes to be inclusive and he likes to, I think, you know, regardless of whether I like him or not, he has done some good in terms of acknowledging that 
China takes advantage, right? You know, we're giving a lot and, you know, we, uh, how can we remain, I mean, you look at foreign currency manipulation, you look at the Chinese keep their currency low so they're competitive. We can't do that. We are the global currency. I think they will, I don't think they'll roll back everything. I think they'll have more rational discussions and try to build relationships. I think, I, I hope Kissinger isn't right that there will be a war. Uh, I think Biden will continue to be tough, but in a different way. Uh, I think he will listen more to his advisors than just, you know, it isn't just a business because there is politics and humans mm-hmm. behind it. So I don't think he's going to roll everything back. I think he's going to take a hard look at everything that he did, see what's working, what's not. and But what he really has to do is build relationships. The U.S. relations right now with China are at an all-time low. And um, so I don't think he'll roll everything back. I think some of the stuff Trump did, we knew we needed to do. Yeah. But you're right. The way he went about it pissed everybody off and, and made the world hate us. And you yeah. can't have the world hate us. Yeah. Any more than they already do. Any more than. Yeah. We need to get back and uh, have a little bit more. I think people still love this country. People people are still flocking here, not to mainland China. Oh, they, they, yeah. I, I think that's never going to happen. Nobody's going to like espouse to move to yeah. mainland China. I, I think they just want a little bit more uh, understanding of how we fit into the world. I think this whole chest bashing and flag waving, you've seen it in, in Arizona, the amount of pickup trucks I see with 12-foot flags hanging yeah, off. I mean, the, I mean that's, that's pretty benign. I mean, I don't know what the... They're, they're well, proud, but like... Uh, what is it really doing and what is it saying? I, I don't think anybody... I don't hate America. I just think that we have to accept the fact that we are a global world now. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I get it, but the you know national identity is, is a big part still of the world we live in. I it mean, should that be. Is, and that is going to be the case. You'll have people, you know, waving flags. I, I, I don't personally have a problem with it. I could use a couple of... I don't mind looking at, a, you know, some hot chicks in an America bikini, right? Like, it's, uh, there's nothing I, to complain I think, about. I think, for me, it bothers me because I think it's a sign of a bigger issue. Yeah, you know, I, I see. You know... You can be proud of your country, and and by the way, they, it's never just one flag. It's always the American flag, and then another flag. Yeah, which I won't mention what the, the other C flag word. is. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, I think this whole chest pounding and things like that, we need to. We can't be divided. We, you know, we are a global world that yeah. needs other countries that sh- we need to feed off each other. And yeah, I'm proud to be an American, but are we the best country in the planet? Yeah, by by some know. measures, maybe by some other measures, definitely not. So, so yeah, that's a great point to uh, to end on. It's a global world. You know, it has been for uh, the last whatever number of decades, and it's only becoming more and more with with technology and internet and like it's it's almost like it's a global. It's a cliche, but it's a global family. So you got to hold people accountable for uh, you know weird uh, wrongdoings that happen around the world, but also like you know uh, you know coordinate and 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 work together with a lot of these yeah. different actors because the world is not just the U.S. The world is just not America. There's like so many other things that are going on in the world that i think uh you know that impact yeah that impact us in 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 different ways so that's that's a great note to end man thank thank you very much for having me here and and being part of the podcast i appreciate it thank you very thank much you. And and thank you to my lovely wife thank and, you julie uh, thank and you to stella. our dog stella for being somewhat quiet so thank yeah. you very much thank Abraham. you absolutely thank you very much for listening to the entirety of that episode i appreciate everybody who does that i'm i hope you guys enjoyed the show 
again uh, i'm with anthony solmini at jp's comedy club this sunday 7 pm uh, doing the same topic challenge i'll leave the details to the show in the show notes hope to see some of you guys there maybe all of you guys there fuck the fire marshal right all right that was the show thank you very much have a great rest of your whatever bye